The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the heart and some of the things that we treasure. See, the treasures are the things that matter deeply to us. And, and two weeks ago, it was the issue of time. Our, our culture places far more value on time than the ancient world. And I think it's because of the busyness of our lives. But the call is to remember that time is valuable. And we need to remember that we are to be stewards and that our lifestyle is to use that time to focus on eternal things and especially the kingdom of God. The last week, we looked at another very important treasure, and it's our children. And the main point was this, what we treasure in our hearts influences what our children will treasure. The more that we treasure Christ, the more that we come to that place where we have the great commandment as the goal in our lives, the greater likelihood that we will be focused on discipleship with our children. And it gives the opportunity for then the great commandment, great commandment to become the goal for our kids. See, we want our children to be more than just nice kids. I, I think of that fourth B on the wall of bringers that there would be a mindset of bringing Christ to their world and to others and to their future families. And I think we saw that in the interview as we um, interviewed that couple from Poland last week. But today we look at another treasure, and it's a tricky one. It's one that I found that people become very sensitive. And, and that picture on the screen there is a $100,000 bill discontinued a few, number of years ago. But this is a topic where oftentimes there's a subtle message that's permeated within churches and even toward leaders. And, and the message is this, stay out of my wallet. See, people oftentimes are more protective of their wallets than they are of their children. There tends to be great suspicion when it comes to even teaching on money. And I wonder if people work to avoid even those Sundays when money is being talked about. But I have to tell you this, money is deeply connected to our hearts. Jesus was very explicit in his teaching on money. So this morning, turn to me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to put that on the screen for you today. But look at how it reads in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about the body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, I need to go down a bit of an alley this morning. Because as, you, as I was looking at the context, I realized that the Spirit arranges scriptures in such a way really to give great and even greater meaning. Now, I understand that we didn't have chapters and verses actually with them, but chapters a little earlier, but verses really didn't come in terms of Bibles until the mid-16th century. 
But even here, the, the, how it fits together, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Thousands of people are listening. And in chapter 6, he begins with teaching on giving to the needy. There's a money issue. And then he jumps into the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer actually has this, uh, this verse that says, acknowledges that God is the giver of our daily bread, that which we have to buy. And, and then he comes to this text on money. But even he goes farther here, you'll see that how it's arranged in verse 25, right after he gets deals with the whole issue of we can't serve two masters, can't serve money. And then it says, therefore, and then it goes into the issue of anxiety. That issue of anxiety here is also connected to money. And you go, coincidence? You go, no way. Just this teaching on money even implies the connections to anxiety. But as I studied and pondered, I had to pause and to pray and go, what do I communicate today? Because some want to preach on money and you give great weight to tithing. And some give a portion, you know, giving it back to God. And some emphasize obedience. And some add blessings that come from tithing and giving. And some actually even distort it a little bit more and kind of move toward a health and wealth gospel, kind of expecting even more back. But the question for me was, how do I approach this? And I guess I could have got it from a business standpoint, and we just passed a budget this last week. So there's many things, out different ways that we could have approached it. But the dilemma is that how do you connect it to the heart? And this is what finally I realized as I was reading these passages over and over. And to put that on the screen, it says this, God's heart for us is that we would become a church filled with generous people that we would be a church that's characterized by financial generosity. And, and you know, I, I think it, we have to stop and pause, and I got to pause and say, okay, does not everybody struggle in the area of generosity to some degree? And I need to grow in that area. But God wants to do something in all of us, in our hearts, so it's not just about debt. It's not just about a budget. It's far more than tithing and figuring out what proportion we should be giving. And, and those things aren't, not, they're not important. I mean, they're, they're, they're not unimportant. They are important. But as I studied this, Jesus talks about money. He's not talking about having the correct budget in our homes. That's not the goal. See, he wants us to have hearts of generosity. But let me put a statement on the screen. Why generosity? See, we become a people who reflect him. That's what he really wants. And look, at God desires us to have hearts of generosity because he has a heart of generosity that is motivated by love. God is a giver and a provider. But Jesus knows the hearts of people he understood that money is one of those things that can ignite a war in our hearts. Remember a statement that I put up last week. I said this, the battle within our hearts is a battle as to whom or what or where we give our love. But that next statement, money can ignite and generate a battle within our hearts as to where and to what we give our love. 
See, just talking about money can create a bit of a battle in our hearts, and the mind can go almost immediately to expenses and debt and, and guilt and sometimes even shame. And, and for that, some people want to kind of, okay, let's just check out and ignore this. And then there's others here that, you know what, you're doing well financially, and you're thinking, you know, talking about money is a, really a, for other people. I set money aside. I give to the church. But I would argue there, even in that scenario, a battle can occur and money can ignite a war. But let's dig a little bit this morning. We want to see how this passage reveals about becoming generous and how it's connected to money. Verse 24, look at as we begin there. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, here's the first principle if you're taking notes this morning. Money can become a type of God or an idol that offers counterfeit meaning. See, money says this, worship me. I want to be your master. And God says, no, no, no. Worship me only. See, this verse tells us that money can become a master that rules our hearts. It can entice us to turn our gaze away from God. And without knowing it, worship is given to stuff and green stuff. But what does this God of money offer us? Particularly in this quest for meaning and purpose in our lives, see, it looks to fill deep needs within our soul. And because of sin, and the, uh, the, because we're trapped at times, we have these needs that cry out, that cry within our hearts. And look at the first one, letter A on the screen. Money fills the need for security. Do you realize we all want to feel safe? Matter of fact, I, I had to go right away to like retirement planning. I'm getting 59 you know, I'm 59 now, and I have to admit that I'm looking, you know, you look ahead and you want to be prepared. But have you ever been a part of a meeting where somebody started talking about financial planning toward the future? Do you know what the term that is emphasized over and over again? It's this, financial security. We are here to help you become financially secure. When we get old, doesn't that creep into our mind? Doesn't that sound really good? But look at the verse. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do break in and steal. Now, I'm not saying it does. we should not plan. And we should not save for the future. I think there's other scriptures that tells us to be wise calls us to be wise stewards. But there's an issue, and, and there's a line that we can cross as we walk in this culture. See, if we focus on storing up treasures in this world, we got to admit it can consume our lives, and we lose the battle in the heart. Money and possessions and having enough becomes the purpose of our lives. And then you ask the question, how is it then that we can be continually giving toward the eternal when you're focusing on the earthly? 
I used a, a quote from the parenting, a parenting book last week, and, and the question was asked in that quote is, if people followed us around and kind of made a, uh, looked at our calendars and watched what we were doing, and they would ask the question, what, what are the treasures that we're laying up for our children? But I think, isn't that true in the money realm as well? See, if they would take a look at our lives, what would they conclude as they watched us or made a documentary about us? Is the focus on getting or even spending money for a particular lifestyle? See, laying up treasures in heaven is not centered around stuff. It's centered about people. It's about investing in adults, in children, in youth, in the kingdom of God. But there's something here also where Jesus addresses money and possessions that's very strong. He, he creates, you notice, really two categories. He talks about money as a master. And the words, do not. This isn't just a suggestion, folks. This isn't a nice idea. It's very strong. He's saying we normally go one way or another, and there's really not much middle ground here. Either we serve the one or we serve the other. See, he, he really doesn't leave room for dancing in both worlds. It's either or. See, is the focus on this world or heaven? Serving God or serving money? And we want to keep one foot in each world, and then we work to justify it. But guess what? Another piece in financial planning, they go toward another area that really plays into our earthly attitudes. And they go on to ask a couple questions, and I've, they've asked me this. Is, what kind of lifestyle do you want when you retire? What are your dreams for retirement? So let, let me give you the second letter B, the subpoint here, and why money is powerful. Money fills the need for comfort. Money feeds us this line. I can give you the best car. I can give you the best home with all the comforts. I can give you the lifestyle free from hassle. Can you know that boat you've always wanted down by the lake? The money God tells us, you don't have to be and live like everyone else. Let me put a picture up on the screen. Do you know what this is a picture of? It's a lazy boy. It's a, it's a lazy boy, the best that money can retire when you retire. Massager built in, electric lift. But even that name, what does it connotate? But look at verse 8 here, verse 9. Matthew 8. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, see this passage fits with this. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus wanted to make sure that the scribe knew what he was doing. He was warning him about what associating with him or following him really meant. And he's saying, do you know the hardship of being a Christian? Do you know what the cost is of being my disciple? And just think of Jesus gathering his disciples together. And he gives them the great commission. 
And he calls them together and says, now nah, guys, you're going to go out. But then also he goes, oh, oh, wait a minute, I forgot one thing. You know, we need to talk about your 401k plans and your retirement plans and how to invest wisely along the way so that, you know what, you can kind of retire happy and nice. Okay, a little facetious. But see, with these words spoken by Jesus, he wants every person who is a disciple to first count the cost. And we live in a Christian world where some would rather would count money than count the cost of following him. See, we are so comfortable and we want a comfortable faith. But you know something? When we really, truly love someone, the cost is really, you know, is always worth it. But think even farther. Money, the money God can give you even more parts to this false meaning. Look, I didn't write them on your notes, but you can get respect, you can get power, you can get status. It's such a powerful God. See, in our culture in particular, the attitude money goes way beyond just having enough food and clothing. But let me give you another letter C, another flawed belief. Money gives us the confidence that we can have our independence when we get old. See, if there's one thing that we like in America, it's our independence. Deanna is a nurse at an assisted living apartment in, in Brainerd. And some people spend all their time earning enough so they'll never run out of money. So what they do is they work, 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 dabble in a little bit relationships, work, 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 and save, invest. Dabble with relationships with their kids and others. Did you catch the point? They have enough money when they retire, but they're relationally, it's bankrupt. Kids don't even want to be around them. Parents, I, I got to say this, and this is kind of hard. If you're putting in the time to discipling your children, do you realize that they are mandated by God to take care of you and us? Me? Listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5.4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Hard stuff. But there's another thing here that we've conceived ourselves and maybe, or maybe Satan has told us that we kind of believe it. Letter D, money fills the need for joy. You could write in fun there. We keep believing the lie that happiness and money go hand in hand. So we work hard to get the toys and the money to spend the time that creates the illusion of happiness and contentment in this world. CNN ran a story a couple of years ago of people winning the big lotto payoff in it and just leaving them deeply dissatisfied and broken and disillusioned. Listen to one of the quotes I came across. She bought a house, got a new wardrobe, cut work down to just one job, invested the rest. And then came the phone calls, promises, marriage proposals, accusations, threats. People who used to volunteer to help her do things wanted money for their trouble. Family members, she says, tried to run her life and control her money. 
Sometimes I wish I could change my name and go somewhere and hide, said the woman who asked not to be identified to prevent further attention. Parents, grandparents, do we realize that we might be subtly teaching our children that money can buy happiness if we keep showering them with gifts that just is about all pure enjoyment? I think there's a place, how about the gift of time instead of money? How about the gift of relationship instead of stuff? See, somewhere we might believe that money will buy the things and make our kids happy, and that just is false. But but let me let me put up a cartoon. Here is a lady going into Toy Mart and, and, and look at what she's teaching her children, Psalm 23. Before you go inside, repeat after me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, Jesus' definition of happiness, I think is very different from ours today. And let me show you how he began teaching the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Beatitudes. And understand, they could be accurately translated happy. Listen to Matthew 5 and look on the screen. Happy are those who know that they are spiritually poor. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are those who mourn. God will comfort them. Happy are those who are humble. They will receive what God has promised. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. God will satisfy them fully. Happy are those who are merciful to others. God will be merciful to them. Happy are the pure in heart. They will see God. Happy are those who work for peace. God will call them his children. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you are my followers. Be happy and glad for a great reward is kept for you in heaven. This is how the prophets who lived before you were persecuted. It's a good news Bible. Money and stuff will lead to the illusion of happiness. But let me end today with just a couple more verses. And next week we're going to look at generosity and kind of really what it is. But verse 24b, look at, you cannot serve God money. And then 25, there's this therefore. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Hard stuff. Is not life more than food and clothing and money and stuff? Folks, there is a depth in that statement which we rarely ponder. And number two for your notes, I said it this way, stop believing the lie that meaning in life is found in the physical world. Matter of fact, there is a verse that just nails it. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. I'll put that on the screen. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are earth on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look at this next phrase though. When Christ who is your life appears. 
then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, as a follower, as a disciple of Christ, we serve God or we serve money. And Jesus is going, stay away from serving money. Is it bad? No. To have money. And you go, no. But don't give in to the lie that meaning and happiness is found in money and buying all the stuff. And neither is it just about saving money to become self-sufficient when you retire. If you find yourself finding your meaning in that kind of stuff and money, I think this is what we need to do. We just stop and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a new desire and to revel and to grow in a love relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to draw us away from the earthly desires. He's inviting, it, inviting us to something different. And I think if we turn our gaze and look more and more toward Christ, we're going to find it attractive. You're going to find it really joyful. See, God desires so much more from us. He wants us to not have money as our master. But he wants us to go, just not duty in other places, and we'll go there next week, but he wants hearts of generosity that are focused on the eternal world. See, God wants to work in our hearts and plant those things in our hearts that will be about the eternal. He wants eternal, eternal things to matter.